All right, if you have your Bible, you want to turn with me to our sermon text today, which is in 1 Samuel 28. We're continuing our, our series in the books of Samuel. This is actually going to be our last one in 1 Samuel. So starting next week, we'll be turning the corner into 2 Samuel. Uh, it also tells the story of Saul's last night on earth. This is the last night before he would die the next day and actually took his own life the next day uh, on a field of battle. So it is a sobering story. And I have to say, if you're a visitor today or haven't been here in a while or haven't been here much, I do not regularly preach about witches or witchcraft, but today is your day. So welcome. This is, it's, gonna, it's a very strange passage in many ways, but we want to try to tackle it head on and not be afraid of what God has to teach us. So let's begin at verse 3, and I'll read to the end of the chapter. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him at Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, <clears throat> he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Divine for me a spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you by becoming your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once, full length on the ground, filled with fear, 
because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing day and night. And the woman came to Saul, and she saw that he was terrified. And she said, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it. And she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it. And she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. Amen? Uh, most people, I believe, are afraid of the dark. Anybody in here afraid of the dark? Now, I was, I was interested this week to learn that only 11% of people are really, really afraid of the dark. Like, like they have a phobia and can hardly, it's like a life debilitating for them to be afraid of the dark. But I would guess if we asked all of us, have you ever been afraid of the dark? And can you imagine any situation right now that you would be in where the dark would make it more scary? I think 100% of us would say yes. Now, why is that? Why is the dark more frightening than the light? Uh, I think it's a simple answer. It's not very hard. Uh, in the dark, you cannot see. Unless you're a cat. You cannot see in the dark. And that means we're very sight-driven people, aren't we? That means that when you can't see something coming, you tend to be more terrified of it than if you could see it coming. Well, think about that, because that is the very situation that, spiritually speaking and physically speaking, Saul is in on the last night of his life. Saul has lived a sorry life. We have to say, we don't want to say that, we take no joy in it, but Saul has lived a sorry life. He has ignored God, he has done his own thing and refused to bow his knee to the greater king, the one who made him king in the first place. And so on the last night of his life, he finds himself in the dark spiritually and in the dark physically, not seeing what's coming his way. We have to ask ourselves today, why does Saul have such a sad and dark ending? And how can we avoid having a day or an ending like this? And the answer is simple. There is no light in life apart from hearing and receiving God's word. Let me repeat it. This is Saul's great downfall. There is no, life, there is no light in life without hearing and receiving the word of God. Saul put out the word from his life. And so it's no surprise that he ended up sitting in the dark. And so we've got to think this morning about that for ourselves. If you look at the bulletin, you can see there are three sections to the outline today. Uh, these follow the, the story just in order. Uh, first, in verses 3 to 7, we see Saul seeking a witch. He seeks a medium to go and consult with. And we learn a little bit from that. And then secondly, we're going to see in verses 8 and following uh, Saul summoning Samuel from the dead. It's a weird scene. 
Uh, and then finally, we're going to see in verses 20 to 25, Saul sorrowing over what he hears. And, and each of these parts of the story are going to help us understand our relationship to God's word a little bit better. Okay? So let's look, first of all, at Saul seeking a medium or a witch. Uh, verses 3 to 7 make it clear that God's word had become absent from Saul's life because of Saul's own fault. So verse 3, look at what it says. Samuel had died, and Israel mourned over him and buried him. Now, what was Samuel? What was his role? Kids, anybody know? What was Samuel's role? He was a prophet. Thank you, sir. And a prophet, this is a really important role, especially in the Old Testament. A prophet was not just someone who could guess the future really well. It's not that. And a prophet is also not somebody who's just really smart and wise and can give good advice. A prophet was someone who directly received a message from God, usually over and over again. And they were to take that message from God and give it without changing it at all to the people. That was a prophet. Direct messages. This was not like a, I'm guessing at what God is saying. This was, I heard God. He said X, Y, and Z, and now here I am as a prophet declaring to you what the Lord has said. He was the direct connection to the Word of God. This was, of course, in a time before the whole Bible had been written. Only a portion of the Bible had been written down. The rest of it was in the process of being written by prophets. Samuel was one of the greatest but when he dies, we do not get the indication that there was another prophet who replaced him right away. In fact, it tells us when Saul was afraid in verse 5 because of the army that was in front of him and he trembled in his heart, he did not hear from God by a prophet. There was no prophet at that time after Samuel had died to give Saul a message. God also refused to talk to Saul by dreams. This was one way that God communicated himself, especially during the Old Testament and especially to kings. If we had time, I could probably quiz y'all and especially the kids who've been learning Bible stories on Sunday nights and Sunday mornings. I could quiz you how many kings in the Bible had a dream from God. And you'd probably be able to you know, answer with some of those names of people like Nebuchadnezzar and like um, you know, Solomon. And you could go on. Many different kings that God sent a dream to, but God refused to send a dream to Saul in this case. There was nothing. And then it also says, verse 6, that God did not communicate by the Urim. And everybody said, what? You know, what is Urim? Uh, Urim was the name of one of the two stones that God had made to put in the priest's breastplate. They symbolized God's guidance. One was called Urim, one was called Thumim. And together, those two stones in the breastplate of the priest symbolized that God was going to lead his people and give them guidance at each step of the way. They were missing. Why were they missing? Catch this. Because three chapters before, Saul killed the priest. We didn't talk about that story, but Saul went to Nob and killed the high priests and lots of other priests at the same time because he was angry. And so David took the breastplate and the stones with him to keep it safe until the next priest could take it. And so Saul had done all these things that cut himself off from the word of God. 
so that when the time came where he really needed a message, there was no message to be found. It was completely dark. No wonder he chooses the nighttime to go and visit the medium. Because in his soul, it was also a dark, dark night. Now, it's really interesting to me, and it should be to you. It should kind of perk something up in your mind and make you think deeply that Saul, when he was in a situation like this and could not hear from God, did not choose to humble himself, but instead chose to find a witch. That ought to kind of give you a clue as to how we human beings work. And I want us to not just beat up on Saul, but to think about ourselves here. Because get this, Saul put out the word of God, therefore it's dark. Saul is still desperate for a word from God. He's still desperate for some kind of word from beyond himself. Some guidance that's transcendent and, and bigger than him. And yet, because he doesn't want to find it with the Lord, he doesn't like what the Lord has to say, instead he goes and finds this other means of finding a connection with the beyond to satisfy his need and his desire. That's you and me to a T. The Bible says that God put eternity into your heart when he made you. He put eternity into your heart. What does that mean? That means your heart longs for transcendence. It longs for something greater. Why? Because God made you to have a connection with him, and he's greater. There's a hole in our hearts that is shaped by God, and, and only God can fill that hole. But yet, when we don't fill it with God, please don't think that we become neutral. Instead, we try to fill it with other things, even with things that God has forbidden. And make no mistake about it, God for, forbade in Israel any kind of witchcraft or necromancy. And if you don't know the word necromancy, it's okay. That means talking to the dead, basically. Uh, trying to call back dead people and speak to or have some kind of interaction with their spirit. Uh, fortune telling and, and the like would be included in this. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, in Leviticus 19 and 20, God had forbidden any of those kinds of witches and necromancers to operate within the land of Israel. And actually Saul knew that because it tells us right here in the passage that years before Saul had shut them all down and had enforced the law that there would be no witches. And yet, who's turning to a witch? Saul. It's probably no accident that Saul's men, the servants, knew exactly where to find one. It's probably not just Saul who's doing these kinds of things. People still know where to find them. It's like when drugs become illegal. People, people who want drugs know where to find drugs, right? It's just, you, you know the guy. You know a guy. Well, they knew a woman who would give Saul what he wanted. And so he goes off to Endor to find what only God could give him from somebody else. Have you ever been to the zoo? It's a happy place, but not always for the animals. Did you know, Have you noticed this? Maybe you get sad a little bit like me when you go to the zoo because you see the tiger, right, in the cage, and he's worn out a path along the edge of the cage just walking back and forth and back and forth. Or 
one time I saw a bear in an enclosure that the whole time I was watching him, he was just going from one place to another in the wall trying to find a place to climb out. Sad, isn't it? It tells you something about the nature of the animal that they're not made to be in a cage. They're not made to be in an enclosure. They're made for wide open country, forests, mountains, expanse. When you try to cage them, it doesn't change their nature. It merely runs it in a different direction. Your heart longing for God will just simply run in a different direction if you refuse to hear the word of God in your life. It's not that you'll become religiously neutral. Nobody's religiously neutral. Nobody is actually non-religious. It just depends on what religion you happen to be following. And if you don't believe this, I mean, it's just amazing to think about, even in our modern society, where most of us would read a story like this and think, oh, yeah, right, this is a fairy tale. Witches calling back dead people? What? This is 2023. You would think, although, have you been to Books a Million lately? And have you seen the occult, new age, magic section of Books a Million, how many books it is? It's, it's growing and I'm a, I'm a lover of bookstores, so I've seen it grow. And it is usually the most visited spot when I go to the bookstore. There are more people there than there are almost any other spot. <coughs> Statistics tell us more people read their horoscopes. They watch the stars. They try to you know, get into things like palm reading. This, actually, this stuff actually happens. And maybe somebody in here has been dabbling with that. This passage reminds us that whatever you think about those activities, God has said those activities are not the way to fulfill your desire for transcendence. In fact, you don't need those activities because God himself will fulfill that desire for transcendence. You don't need somebody to tell your fortune. You don't need somebody to read your future in the stars. And you certainly don't need someone to call back a dead friend so that you can talk to them. Um, this story is a reminder, because of what happens next, that if you start dialing those numbers, somebody might pick up. All right? I'm not professing to tell you how, and I don't know, I'm not an expert in these things, but if you dial the numbers of spirits, somebody might pick up and ask Saul how that turns out. It is not the satisfaction you think it is. But even if you're here and you say, I would never do that, that sounds crazy, count me out. Listen, in a materialistic society like ours, we ignore the spiritual, but that just means we make the material spiritual. There's somebody who would never, ever visit a medium today, or, or a witch, or a spiritist, but, oh, man, technology for them is like their Savior and Lord. They, they think all their life comes down to what technology they have and how it works. Or let's just mention another one. How do people treat sex in our materialistic culture? And has it not been turned into a God? Where not only the activity, but even just the desire and the preferences and all that have become like the level of a God that we worship. What is a pride parade, if I can speak frankly, what is a pride parade except a religious service of worship? 
people worshiping their sexual preferences. And it ain't just gay people who do that. It's many people who have elevated sex and other material things to the level of godlike status. It's like visiting a medium. It's like trying to get a connection with the outside in some way other than the Lord God. And it will always end in a night of darkness. It's important for all of us to, to think all the time, how am I trying to fill my need for transcendence? How am I trying to fulfill that hole that God has placed in me that is eternal, that only he can fill? How am I trying to do that? That's the first thing, Saul seeking the witch. But let's look secondly at Saul summoning by the witch, Samuel. And this is where the story gets real weird. Uh, look at verses 8 through 19. This story is, I'll, I'll grant it to you, this is one of the strangest stories in the Bible. Saul has disguised himself. Uh, the woman is afraid because she knows what she does is illegal. Saul uh, assures her by swearing to Yahweh that he will not punish her. Which that right there ought to show you something about Saul's state of mind. Uh, verse 10, he invokes the name of the Lord to do an evil thing. Which just shows, you know, he's, he's just tipping his cap to God, but his heart's not really with God. It never has been. He's here not really to hear the word of the Lord. He's, he's here to hear what he wants to hear and to do what he wants to do. To get assurance on his own terms. And so he finally convinces the woman to do her seance, you know, call forth a spirit who will then call forth Samuel, do that for me. And she does it apparently. And in verse 12, I love this, what happens? To everybody's surprise, uh, apparently even to this witch's surprise, because it says she shrieks when she sees it, Samuel actually shows up. That's weird, isn't it? Listen, I don't think you should not walk away from this story thinking, all right, seances work, necromancy is real, you know, this is something we can do. Nowhere in the Bible does it give you any sense of assurance that you can talk to dead people and they're going to answer back or that dead spirits come back to haunt the earth. That's, that's not biblical. It's not found in the Bible. But apparently, for some great reason, the Lord has allowed it to happen in this case. Because I, I read this, and I can't take the point of view that this is just a fake trick. Because Samuel himself actually speaks to Saul and speaks the truth about the future to Saul. And it, it turns out to be true. And so I think God has, for some reason that he knows some wise reason allowed Samuel to actually come back from the dead and appear to Saul and this woman. And the sight of it is so amazing. This woman has never seen anything like it. She says, a God is coming up out of the earth. Well, describe this God. Well, now that I look at it more closely, it's just an old man in a robe. And Saul knows it's Samuel. And he bows. And he says, I'm in distress. Tell me what I should do. I love Samuel's, by the way, uh, verse 15. There's humor in the Bible. Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Isn't that fun? Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I was, I was doing fine. I, I'm retired. 
why are you calling on me again? And Saul says, oh, I'm in distress. There's a war, and I don't know what to do. God won't answer me. God won't speak to me. Tell me what to do. And in verse 16, in Samuel's response, you begin to see maybe part of the reason why God allowed this crazy thing to happen. Samuel says, why do you ask me since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? Saul, if you know God's your enemy and you're treating him that way and he's treating you that way, why are you pretending to want to hear from God? Did I not tell you everything God had to say to you while I was alive? And do you think that if you call me back from the dead to tell you the word of God again, that somehow the word is going to change? That somehow what God said to you while I was living is going to be different now that I'm dead? Does the death of a prophet change the word of God? This is the point. Samuel appears to Saul to make this point. God's word never changes, no matter what, which is the reason why the only place to find light is through the word. Our terms, our heart, our desires, our, all the things that we think and imagine that we want, they change all the time. Somebody says, follow your heart. And all the people said, which one? Which heart? My heart has changed many times. It changes in some ways each day. Um, what part of me should I follow? You see, it's completely unstable. Uh, visiting this medium, completely unstable. Worshiping created things, completely unstable because all those things change constantly. They're, they're never the same. But listen, you can kill God's prophet and not change God's word. You can chain up God's apostle Paul says, but not chain up the word of God. You can try to revise God's message and God's message bursts forth even brighter and even clearer. Uh, my, my least favorite thing to do uh, at my house is trimming the trees and the hedges. And if you've ever been to my house, you might ask, do you trim the trees and the hedges? And, and I do. But there's so many of them, and I'm one person, and it's just hard. And there's also this. They grow back really fast. Don't y'all know that? Y'all know that from your own experience. You, you trim them, and it's like it felt like just a few weeks, and there they are again. God's word is kind of like that, right? You, you can try, and this is what so many people are trying to do in our world. They, they like parts of God's word, but not others. And so they'll take the Bible, lay it on the table, and cut off the edges that they don't like to try to fit their preconceived idea. And, and here's the cool thing. The word just keeps, it keeps popping back to its former state. You cannot contain it. You know, you call it back, you try to kill it, and it comes back from the dead, Right? A dead man preaches it, and it's the same thing as a living man preaching it. The word is the word is the word. It does not change, which is the reason why it's such a refuge to the soul to find your home within the truths of God's word, to set down your roots there and build your life and build your family on it because it cannot change. And oh, woe to him who ignores the word of God the way Saul did. 
Jesus told a story once that reminds me of this story. He says there was a rich man and then there was a beggar named Lazarus and they died on the same day. And the rich man went to hell and Lazarus the beggar went to heaven. And it says the rich man was suffering and called out to Abraham in heaven. Abraham, let Lazarus come back from the dead and talk to my brothers and my family to warn them and tell them about this place so they won't go here like me. Send them from the dead and then they will believe. And Jesus said that Abraham responded, they have the law and the prophets, let them hear them. If they don't hear the law and the prophets, in other words, if they don't hear the Bible, then it doesn't matter if someone comes back from the dead. They won't listen to him either. Because your heart before the Lord is your heart before the Lord, no matter who's bringing it. The issue in your life and the issue of mine is, is an issue between you and your maker, not between you and folks. And no matter how much you try to Put your maker into your box. You can't. He has a habit of bursting boxes and emptying tombs. Saul saw it. And he heard it with his own eyes. Saul, I told you many times what God had to say to you, and none of those times did you ever listen to me. You call me back from the dead, and I'm just going to say it again. God is going to judge you. David's going to be the king. How do you respond, Saul? And guess what? Saul responds the same way. A hard heart. Saul does not humble himself before God at all. Instead, he falls down and has a terrifying pity party. Which leads us to our last point. Verses 20 to 25, we see Saul sorrowing. In the witch's house, Saul fell at once, verse 20, full length on the ground, face down, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. There was no strength in him. He had, he had eaten nothing all day and night, and he refused to eat any further. He was giving up. He had not heard what he wanted to hear from God, and he was pitching a fit, we might say. It was a terrifying fit. He took what Samuel said seriously. We have to give him credit for that. But he did not love anything about what the Lord was saying. He did not, he did not think about questioning himself. What a deadly human disease. That when God speaks to us, the last thing we think is to question ourselves. Usually the first thing we think is, let me question God. What a twisted order of procedure. And yet Saul finds himself there. At least he's this, though. At least he's a model for how seriously we ought to take the Bible. It's a matter of life and death. Imagine you were going to have a surgery coming up, and imagine your doctor sat you down and gave you instructions. It was big surgery, okay, not small but big. And he said, here are the things you should do before surgery. Here's what you need to do after. Now, be careful. Uh, if you don't do these things, it could be life-threatening. How careful are you as you review those? You're calling in help, right? You're, you're looking at the words. Doctor, what do you mean by this? 
You might even be really detailed. Doctor, did you mean to put a comma there? And let me tell you, that's the way people whose hearts have been brought alive by God, that's the way they treat Scripture. They, they treat it like every word is precious. Uh, a little golden droplet from the mouth of God. Every comma, every, every sentence, every paragraph, a direct message from the Lord that my life hangs on and depends upon. And I want you all to know, as your pastor, I want you to know that's the way I believe about Scripture and that's the reason why I stand up in front of you every Sunday. I don't believe I'm on a trifling errand. And I do not believe that I'm only here because I like talking about these things, although I'll grant you, I do. I'm here because I believe how you hear God's word and respond to it is your life or your death. And not just now, but forever. It's heaven or it's hell. Whether you're willing to listen to God. Saul did not listen. He didn't follow the instructions. And all he had at this last day was a fearful expectation of God's judgment, which eventually led him to take his own life, which is what he did on the battlefield the next day in Gilboa. It was a sad ending to a life of unfaithfulness to the Lord. But I want to tell you this morning... And you can't, look for Saul. you can't look to Saul for this because he's a bad example. But you can find many examples in the Bible of people who do not respond that way to God's word and experience something very different. That's the cool thing about the word of God is it can be to one a hardening, judging experience. And it can be to the other, by God's grace, a life-giving, encouraging, joyful experience. That, that, that even the hard things in the Bible can become strangely sweet to a heart that has warmed to the voice of God. And I'm going to tell you, that's why Jesus came into this world. The Bible says Jesus is the light of the world. This world is darkness. God's light was sent into the world so that it might shine so that people might be drawn to the light and by being drawn to the light might themselves become full of light. That's the, that's the gospel right there in a nutshell. We are darkness. We're over here feeling our way around with witches and all the rest. Whatever it is, you take your pick. We're feeling our way around. We have no idea what we're doing spiritually. And Jesus Christ was born to show us the way. And he did show us the way. Jesus allowed his light to be put out on the cross. He went into a dark night on the cross, tasting the judgment and the forsakenness of God. He tasted the judgment that Saul got for you and for me. So that as he says, if anybody will come to me and follow me, he will not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. Here is one who has come back from the dead. And if you will listen to him, you will live and you will shine. And you will also not need to read your horoscope. Christian, I'm talking to you. You do not need to read your horoscope. You got something way better than that. You do not need to go asking somebody to tell you your future. You do not need to read books out of the New Age section at Books A Million. It is not going to provide light to you. 
but darkness. You do not need to parade around your personal sexual desires to get everybody's affirmation because you have the affirmation of God through Jesus Christ. You do not need to worship and serve dumb technology which has no mouth to speak. You have a God who speaks. We have something far better. Saul could have, Saul should have known this. But he made it a habit in his life every time it came up to snuff it out. And my prayer for y'all, my prayer for everybody, is that you wouldn't do that. Don't snuff out the word when you hear it. When you see that little flame, cup it. Protect it. Fan it. Pray and add fuel to it. Let it burn. Because he who walks with Jesus will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Amen.